Hello and welcome back to Let's All Laugh At, the football podcast that thrives at someone else's expense. It's the first one of the new year, 2021, and coincidentally, it's our 25th episode. So, quarter of us is Tina we here to celebrate with uh, Dan, Johnny and Andrew on this episode. So, how you guys doing? Yeah, All bad. good, yeah, happy anniversary. <laughs> yes, indeed. 25th episode. Of this, of this one that we're doing right now, yeah. I mean, obviously oh. we had the past iteration like years ago, but since we started in June, I think it was. Yeah, I mean, Andrew just messaged me and said, hey, George, fancy start the podcast up again? And then we did. We got these these two bozos involved eventually, um, and then <laughs> and then here we are now. So yeah, very American word. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but okay. So well, to mark this occasion, well, Johnny, you've got a very um very uh, happy way to mark this occasion because we're starting with your team, Arsenal, and you know we we we've had our we've had our laughs at you in the past few weeks, but that all seems a thing in the past now. A four nil win against West Brom. Your third straight win in the Premier League, I believe, and up to the dizzy heights of 11th place. So, yeah, how'd, how'd you make that? <laughs> well, I mean, it, it, was a good, it was a good performance last night against West Brom. West Brom are dreadful. Let's make that absolutely clear. They are utter dross. Um, because I might have kept some teams up, but um, he's not keeping them up because they're, they're going down. They're awful. Um, but apart from we played very well last night. Um, really impressed again with, with Bukayo Saka and Emil Smith-Rowe. Yeah, it was a good performance. Another clean sheet. Three wins in a row. 11th place. God, I was flying. No, I'm, joking. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. But no, it's, it's, um, it's, uh, we're, going, we're going okay. Um, so we've got, we've got some, some winnable games coming up. Uh, we've got you, boy. Both of you. We've got, we've got Newcastle and Palace coming up. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, if, if it's all if, but some maybes in football. But uh, if we win them games, then, then we're right up there. Um, so, yeah, who knows? Yeah, I certainly think you've got a good chance. I mean, it depends which, for our game, it depends which Palace turn up. I think we've got a chance if we actually do our thing and, you know, keep things tight and counter-attack without the likes of Zaha and Eze. But if we play anything like we did against Liverpool and Villa, you'll you'll have no problem whatsoever. But as for, I mean, we, we talk all the time with Arsenal about, it, it's hard to avoid talking about the younger players and how instrumental they're going to be to the rebuild and all that. And they've, they've proven it yet again. Um, I mean, the likes of Saka... I mean, he's not necessarily that young a player, but Kieran Tierney as well. Both scored fantastic goals during the game, and they've just they seem to be really be kicking on this season. Oh, absolutely! I mean, second is going from strength to strength, and uh, I, I love Kieran Tierney. Um, he's a proper proper fullback. Um, a big fan of him. Um, for me, Emil Smith Rowe as well. I mean, a lot of talk about Mesut Ozil coming back into the team, but I think Emil Smith Rowe is um, he's cemented that place now. I don't see if there's any small chance of Ozil ever coming back into the team. I think that's gone. Because um, it makes me afraid, he's, he's every time I watch him, he just gets better and better. Um, I know he's still only very young. I know it's, it's only West Brom. Don't get me wrong, but you can only you can only beat us in front of you. And um, he, he was he was superb again. It makes me afraid, and he's yeah getting better and better. Yeah. So I'll bring in the more I'll bring in the more devil's advocate voice uh, of the Arsenal conversation, Andrew. Um, <laughs> you know, with our, Arsenal's form has definitely upturned. But as Johnny said, it is only West Brom and the teams they've played. Aside, aside from Chelsea, although you can argue, particularly with today's result, Chelsea are, you know, very much on a downward slide as well. You know, is it how? What do Arsenal still have to do to convince you know as many people as possible that you know they can they can mount a challenge for at least top six again? I mean, I think they've definitely got a chance of coming top six now. They're only three points behind in Chelsea. Um, so they've got a great chance of coming in top six. They're moving the ball better. They're doing all these things with Aubameyang not even playing well at all. Um, so if you imagine if Aubameyang started to hit form and started to work well with Lacazette, 
and they'd be even better. So I think they've got a good chance. I mean, it, in the Premier League, all it does is take a little run to get you going. Yeah. And then once you get a run going, you've got a great chance. And to be honest, you've got to remember, Arsenal's team is very expensive, so they should be doing well. Uh, that's I think that's why we're all surprised at how they underachieved before. But um, I've got to say, for Emil Smith-Rowe, I saw someone saying he's the Kaka from Croydon or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, he yeah, he is a South London lad. Unfortunately, we missed out on him. But you know, if we can start getting players of his quality through the academy of any kind, then we're in a good position. But I won't make this about Palace just you yet. Keep them for a year and then sell them. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, hopefully, hopefully it's a bit longer than that. But if Zaha has anything to go by, we'll keep them a lot less, a lot longer than a year, or buy, or buy them back for three million pounds. Either way. <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, I think Smith Rowe in particular. I mean, one of the goals for Saka was just. Um, just reminded me so much of Wenger Arsenal at the time with the way they cut it back and it was just a, a beautiful move. You know, that is, that's that's the Arsenal that people enjoy watching, that kind of Wenger Arsenal. So if Arteta can get that, because the Zala play under Arteta has been terrible, but that game against West Brom was really some like kind of vintage Arsenal. So it was good to see. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and Dan, to sort of bring you on the, in on this as well, in terms of, I mean, we've mentioned before that Liverpool have had similar, you know, similar struggles in mid-table, for lack, I suppose you could say. But and they've had, they've been able to, they were able to string some form together, and then it just sort of, you know, you, there's always talk about them getting top four. Particularly, I remember, I think it was 2014-15, the season after Suarez left, and then mm. you won a bunch of games under Rodgers, and that sort of petered out at the end of the season. I mean, obviously, there's a the danger of that for Arsenal, and there's still a long way to go, but. What what are the sort of signs you can see from them compared to what you've seen from Liverpool in the past in situations? Yeah, um, I think I made the comparison a couple of weeks ago on here from Liverpool in years gone by to Arsenal current plight. And I always expect them to come good like they have done, obviously, in the past couple of weeks. Um, comparatively, they've given the youngsters a go, haven't they, like you said uh, recently, because the Aubameyang thing wasn't really working. And obviously Smith, Rowe and Saka have come in and done well. We had a similar sort of era with, I don't like mentioning his name, but Raheem Sterling coming in. Um, <laughs> as well. So there are, there are similarities there, I suppose. It was quite exciting to watch. Because youngsters don't have fear, you know. Um, like the Arsenal, they're on a, such a downward spiral and they're picking the same team every week. They're going out there having just been beat. Whereas you bring Smith, Rowe in and and Saka and, and other youngsters, I think that Balogun's been in the round as well. And they, ha- they they haven't had that same defeat. They haven't got that fear. So it's obviously worked. Um, and then you can integrate the likes of Aubameyang back in and what have you. But yeah, like I never expected Arsenal to be anywhere near relegation, even though they were flirting with it for a week. But it's the same at the top and bottom of the Premier League at the minute. Teams are flirting with the title and then suddenly the ninth. And it's similar at the bottom. Arsenal floating relegation, suddenly they're 11th. So it's a mad league this season. We've just got to get through it and see who's on top and who's at the bottom at the end of it, I think. Yeah, I think that's the best way to look at it. But I'm sure given all the given the history of Johnny on the show and his team, he's going to be revelling in it for as long as possible. Until <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we lose to Palace, then yeah. 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 Um, well, I mean, in terms of the Pater Palace game, I mean, like you said, I really think it could go either way. I mean, it's a couple of weeks from now, so, you know, it should be a good 
we've got a bit of a time to rest for it. So hopefully, you know, we're up for it. I just want us... I think Arsenal are there for the taking this season, even on their good run. So I just hope we give it a good perfor- a, a good performance. Um, not necessarily give it a go, because I think that can... that could, As we've seen with Liverpool, that can come back to bite us. But... We'll get onto that, I think, with you. <laughs> we, we will get onto that. I'm going to postpone it as much as I can, and we'll move on to you next, Andrew. Because, I mean, there's not too much to talk about. I mean, you had... There was a hard-fought point against Dan's Liverpool um, just before New Year's, and then today... You know, the, the loss against Leicester, 2-0 down, then Andy Carroll pulling one back, first goal since returning, and couldn't get the win, unfortunately. So it's a, it's a bit same old, really. I mean, I feel like I say that every time, but I suppose that sort of sums up where you are right now. Yeah, it wasn't a good performance, to to be honest, but uh, fair play to Leicester. They've got, they've got a great away record this year, um, and they've come to us um, two really good, well-taking goals. Cut um, through runs and then cutbacks. One from Albright and one from Vardy. I think this before today we, we didn't play well. We only played well really when Andy Carroll came on and caused some disruption. Um, but it's kind of like Leicester are cut, you know, much better side than us. Really didn't really build on the Liverpool performance in spells that we did play well against Liverpool. But um, it's you know. We really need St. Maxim to come back because we can't really cause these teams much of a threat. He's so important to us, to our game plan and everything like that. Steve has a game plan. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, weird with COVID because, like, the teams below us and everyone is having games in hand and it's a really weird yeah. season. Some teams on 15 games, some teams on 17 games. I think so. Newcastle themselves are on 15 games. I think they had the games against Villa and someone else i can't remember postponed it's it is it's just a, it's going to be a weird because this could keep happening over january and february so we could have teams like 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 it is in scotland at the moment where celtic has free games in hand on rangers we could that have that in the premier league and as this you know when it comes to these games towards the end of the season could it could be really interesting generally because you'll see a lot of overtaking at the time yeah, I think with the way the COVID situation in the country is going, I think we could be a lot more of those, certainly over the next couple of months. Uh, but I, I think you're right. Yeah, I mean, it could be, you know, again, you, you get those teams that play games in hand. They'll more than likely play them towards the end of the season. And once those games are played, all of a sudden the, the table could change like overnight. So I think you're right. It could. I'm hoping that it mixes up the relegation battle in particular as much as possible without dragging us into it, obviously. Yeah. Um, and the, I mean, and the, also the title race as well. I mean, I genuinely couldn't say where it's going. I think there's a at least four or five teams in with a shot of a genuine shot of winning. I mean, like some, some more than others, you know, but I think there's a lot of teams you can't rule out as well, given the way the season is going. Arsenal. <laughs> well, I mean, if they carry on the form they have, you never know. They could be, they could be in and around there within the ma- within a month. So you never know. Um, but yeah, as and on, you know, we mentioned Liverpool onto you, I suppose, Dan, you know, it's been, it's not been the most, it's not been the greatest festive period for you. It's safe to say, but you know, I would given that it's we you haven't talked about it since you've been on the show, I would I would be amiss to not talk about that. For want of a better term, battering. Complete and utter battering of us before before Christmas. Yeah, um obviously it's difficult to look back on that with much much glee after what's gone since. Oh um, thanks. It's good to know. Good to know <laughs> it brought you so much glee, yeah. Yeah, well, you know what that that had been coming. I think I said to you in the chat like that's been coming for Liverpool for a while. We create a lot of chances most games, 
and we don't put a lot of them away, as we've shown since Newcastle. So, yeah, so you're serving them all for us, and then you have basically. a bot to since. Yeah, this, yeah, this just basically. gets better and better. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's kind of what's happened. We used up all our goals on Palace. Listen, I mean... Well, you don't was... play us until the, again until the final day of the season, so I hope you find it your touch before then. Well, hopefully the league's wrapped up by then, but we'll see. Yeah. Um, no, it's not... It's obviously not ideal. Things are... We currently have no centre-backs, so it's not, it's not fantastic. Yeah, uh, the Palace game was brilliant. We were perfect pretty much in every sense. There was 10 minutes in the first half where it was quite even, but outside of that, we were clinical. We were just clinical. I don't think Palace did a lot wrong, to be honest. We were a bit naive. Yeah, yeah. We, conceded, we conceded seven goals and didn't score any. I think we did a lot wrong, to be honest no, with you. Even if, even if you are the best team in the country, you don't concede seven goals at home with your heaviest home defeat of all time yeah. by being good. We were shite. You were, yeah, I think I think as a you didn't make many mistakes. I think you were a bit naive. I think a lot of the yeah. time you you really tried to press us and even play out from areas that you just can't really do against Liverpool. Like you're seeing what West Brom and Newcastle have done since. It's very pragmatic, and they don't they don't try and play us at their own game. I think Palace tried to do that, and that's that's a bit dangerous, as we've seen. But yeah, listen, things aren't ideal. We're top of the league, better skin of our teeth, just. In terms of the title race, I'll be dead honest, we don't win it unless we sign a centre-back in January. No way. It's not possible. We can't. You, you can't have no centre-backs and win the league. It's, it's not going to happen. Mm, bold claim there. Okay, interesting to hear. Uh, but I agree with you. I mean, it's crystal clear you need a centre-back. And as for, I mean, touching on what you said before, I mean, I said it on the podcast already, but I think you're right. I think... In terms of individual performances, like there weren't that many howlers apart from Patrick Van Aanholt, but we don't we don't talk about him anymore. Uh, <laughs> but I think you're right. I think tactically, ironically, it was the complete opposite of a Roy Hodgson performance. Like normally, these are the games we sort of try and stifle. And you know, I've seen I saw so many Palace fans say, "Well, I don't care what the score is, just give it a go." Like, well, there you go. We gave it a go. We got spanked. Yeah. So I hope you're happy. I mean, listen, that works against Spurs. You know, it should have worked against Chelsea had we tried it, because Chelsea have proven today they're there to be got at. So if if, if we just swap the two around, if we played like we had against Liverpool against Chelsea and played like we had against Chelsea against Liverpool, the results could have been much different. I mean, had yeah. we played, had we had we sat back, I still don't think we'd have won, but it would have been two or three and not seven, in my opinion. Like, Yeah, um, at least three or four of them goals came from you being overzealous yeah. and trying to, trying to play in a game whereby you probably shouldn't have done, you know. Yeah, I mean, we'll get we'll we'll, t- we'll touch more on that topic in general um, later on, but it is important to rec- for us to recognise, you know, when to when to go for it and when to when to be cautious and be and shut up shop, and we didn't do that. And so, uh, but anyways, on a more positive note, you know, uh, after the terrible Christmas period that we had, uh, earned ourselves a one-one draw against Leicester. All right, it was a very changed Leicester team it wasn't their full team but it was still a good side in my opinion and they did bring on the likes of Vardy and Tielemans in the second half so I think we did well all right we, t- we took the lead and you know they with, with a great goal from Zaha I have to be said I thought it was a great counter-attacking goal um and they equalized in the last 10 minutes so it was disappointing but considering the circumstances it stopped the rot we got a point to not get the clean sheet was really gutting, but we managed it in the next game against, albeit a really terrible Sheffield United side. Like, we were all worried before the game, like, Sheffield United, 16 without a win, you know, Ryan Brewster, we nearly signed him. He's, it's all set up for him to score against us and then to win a scrappy 1-0. And thankfully it wasn't the case. We did the job very, very well. 
you know, we weren't outstanding by any means, and we were held by how poor Sheffield United were, but we did the job. We shut them out, and we we did boss the game, in my opinion. But I, I can't I can't move on without talking about that Abereze goal. I mean, my God, that's. I mean, I hope that's up for the Puskas Award, like Sons was, because uh, it's basically the same goal, albeit helped by some terrible defending, I will admit. But I mean, yeah. it's when you've got when you've got a player that can do that. Eze himself says he he wants to be an entertainer, he wants to get people out of seats, and whew, if he keeps doing that every game, then yeah, he's definitely going to do that. But yeah, great win for us. It was, I mean, it's, it's a great finish from Eze. Don't get me wrong, but God, it was bad defending. Uh, <laughs> it, it was like it was like Eze was playing FIFA on beginner. And he's just yeah, semi-pro. Yeah, I mean, it's a great finish. Great, I mean, I love the way to put the wood back of the net. Don't get me wrong, but God, it was such bad. I mean, I was just like, watched the match today, and I was thinking, is someone going to tackle him? He was just like, gone after you, gone, you go through. And I think it was John Fleck who said I should just tackle him down. It was just, just kick him. Don't him. Oh, it was awful. But no, fair play to Palace. Um, you know, it was a good, a good performance. You've got the three points. Um, I mean, in the group chat, I was about, um, about Wilfred Zaha. And I'll tell you what, I, I've always said I do like Zaha, but um, I just think it, it must be it, all you got to do is just wind him up because he gets he gets involved in stuff he shouldn't do. I just think it's just walk away and don't get involved because I think if you're if you're, not, if you're an opponent and you're, and you're against him, just just keep keeping his ear for 90 minutes and wind him up because you you get a reaction out of him and more than not you probably get him sent off because he just he gets, he gets involved in stuff. He, uh, of course he, he gets kicked because he's a very talented footballer. Don't get me wrong. But at the same time, he does get involved in stuff he shouldn't. And that's just my opinion. But I think he just wastes himself for getting involved. Yeah, well, it's hard, it's hard not to disagree with that. I mean, I've always said he is the easiest player in the Premier League to wind up. Certainly up there. I know Andrew disagreed and said Mitrovic was easier, which fair enough, because <laughs> Mitrovic is in a class of his own. But apart from him, I think that, Again, he's he's had he's gotten red cards and yellow cards like before. The one that sticks out the most is Ward. He has a he has a go with Ward Prowse and Ward Prowse, you know, it cleverly in my opinion. You know, Palace fans hate him, but he he winds him up properly and Wilf reacted to it and got himself sent off. So, you know, it's it's hard if he just like you said. I mean, he's I understand his frustration and you know it's it's showing passion and all that. But like, you know, there's a, there's a time and a place for it, and he really does with how much we rely on him as well. Like he really does he does himself and does us no favor sometimes. Yeah, no, absolutely. And <laughs> with Mitrovic, I think he could start a fight in an empty room. Mitrovic. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I remember a game um, after Newcastle a couple of years ago. And he got he got sent off in the first twenty minutes, and he was just kicking people. It's just, what are you doing? But you know, Zaha, he's a, he's a talented footballer, and uh, you know, I'd hate to see him waste his career by get, just getting involved in silly stuff. He doesn't need to because he can do his talking. I don't know if I'd, I don't know if I'd go as far as wasting his career, but yeah, <laughs> I get what you're trying to say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, you know, he can do his talking with the ball when he takes it around people and puts the ball in the back of the net and lead and is a leader. When he gets himself involved and stuff, it just, you know, it kind of makes me wonder about what you're doing. Just don't stop it. Yeah. Well, okay then. Well, with this, with this weekend's football done, we'll move on to the topic that's probably been in the news the most this week, the football news. That's the topic of Karen Carney. And for those who haven't seen, she made some comments on, I actually forget which channel it was, but she was making comments about Leeds and essentially downplaying, not only lead to season that they're having so far, but their title win from last season as well. Basically saying that the main point was that they got only got promoted because of COVID and they weren't that consistent. Now, the Leeds official Twitter account responded to that and basically called her out on it and said, well, you know, you, you're I haven't got the exact tweet in front of me, but it's like, you know, do, do, making fun of her based on where they were now and thinking, you know, do you want to run that by us again or something like that? And they got a lot of stick for it. a lot of people were saying, you know, this is 
you know it, it's not right to be calling her out like that and you know she has been the target of a lot of lot of sexist abuse since then the chairman even came out and you know sort of kind of sort of made an apology for the tweet saying that you know that the, the rhetoric is right like we're we're gonna you know we're, i think we're in the right to talk about pundits when they criticize us but also like you know it's it's stuff like that the abuse like that is, is unacceptable and we don't we don't tolerate that as a club now andrew you've actually already made a video about this uh, which we'll leave in the description below make sure you check that out but i wanted to give you the chance to air your opinions on here as well because you were pretty you were pretty you, you stood in pretty firm defensive leads on what they did at the end of the day leads were responding to her comments which were to be honest a bit disrespectful to Leeds. they dominated the championship last year you know, she she was implying that basically because the country went into lockdown and they had a break that all their form was going to tail off before. I think before they went into the initial lockdown, Leeds had won five in a row. So they weren't mm. tiring or anything. So the thing I have is I agree it's not fair for her to get sexist abuse and everything like that. But it's also it doesn't mean she can make lazy analysis and, you know, expects people to be softer on her. Because she wants to be treated, and then we want all women pundits to be treated the same as male pundits. So, like, Michael Owen has been criticised heavily for sometimes when he's made stupid points, like when he said Liverpool won the Europa League when they like, went to the final and lost to Sevilla. Or, you know, the whole Graham Sooners, Pogba memes that we see, you know, who's the cause? Like, if they're asking Graham Sooners, what's, what's, why can't we solve COVID? And he blames Paul Pogba. You know, constantly, <laughs> constantly you know, they these like male pundits get criticised. And I think Karen Connor, I agree, she shouldn't have any sexist abuse. but she, And she shouldn't get any abuse, but she should be said that, called out saying, you, you know, you're not, it's a bit lazy what you're saying, really, because... Leeds dominated the league. She's actually a very good pundit. Um, most of the time when I've watched her, I think she's quite good. And she is, she was, I mean, I, I only watched women's football in the major championships and she was a very good winger for England. But this is a lazy point. It's like, and I think you see lazy analysis when it's teams outside the top six. So I remember last year, Danny Mills was saying that Sheffield United were like very direct team, played long balls all the time in the championship when he's clearly not seen them play very often because mm -hmm. they were a passing team at the time. So, you know, at the end of the day, it's her job to give good analysis. And in this situation, she's made a mistake. People have corrected it. But, you know, Leeds should apologize. Like, people who've made sexist abuse against her should apologize. But people shouldn't apologize because they've, said, they've shown that her point is wrong. Yeah, Johnny, I know you had something to say about that as well. So do you want to chime in? Yeah, I mean, I don't agree, agree with what she said, but I, I think what annoyed me the most, because some of the abuse that she got on, on Twitter is it's nothing short of disgusting, to be honest. And I think football is a very, it is, it is a kind of a male-dominated sport when it comes to pundits and stuff like that. And I think a lot of a lot of blokes, like they, don't like, a lot of blokes don't like the fact that women, like uh, Karen Carney and Alex Scott, some of their opinions are better than some of the blokes. And I think some blokes um, don't like it. And, um, you know, whether her, her opinion was right or it was wrong, that doesn't really matter to me. But I, I, it was the abuse. Um, and it was just some purely nasty abuse. And, you know, I, there was no need for it. And the fact she had, she had to delete her Twitter because of idiots who, who just haven't really... They're idiots as far as I'm concerned. And I'm a big fan of Karen Carney. She's a great great pundit. And she's on Match of Day 2 tonight. So, uh yeah, I just it was just the abuse by idiot blokes who just who don't who don't like the fact that women 
have got decent opinions on football. So does, they... that, does that mean, what, the one thing I worry about it is that it's going to become that any female pundit can make any point, but we can't criticise them then. And we can't say anything. Like, is that like what we should do then? Like we should be softer and say that any woman pundit who makes a point which is incorrect factually or anything. Because I, if I was a woman pundit, I wouldn't want that treatment either. I would want to be treated the same as a male pundit. Do you see what I mean? Because it, it's almost it's almost like now people are going to be like no club generally after this or anything is going to criticise female pundits because there's just going to be like, well, you know, there'll be a backlash, negative PR because Leeds is, have had a huge negative PR from this now. But if you look at their actual point, they, they weren't criticising because she's a woman. They were criticising her because she's made a bad point. No, I, 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 yeah, I get that. Yeah, no, I, I just think it was just the abuse that you got from from the, from the public. It was just a lot of nasty, sexist, horrible. There was just no need for it, just because of her opinion. And I think if, if it would have been a bloke who said it, there there would have been half half much reaction. I don't think it's just because she's a woman. There would have been reaction. There would have been reaction. Rio Ferdinand made some stupid points last year about Newcastle, and all the Newcastle fans annihilated him on Twitter and everything. Well, that's that's the thing. I think I think there's two. I think there's two sort of perspectives on this. There's the actual criticism itself, and there's you know what 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 has come about of the criticism in terms of obviously everyone in this or this show it goes without saying that the sexist abuse that she received is unacceptable no one condones it you know a, a, anyone anyone that, that has to stoop to the level of you know making fun of the fact that she's a woman and doesn't belong that deserve a place in the game because she's a woman because they're so insecure about themselves like johnny said that's not acceptable but in terms of you imagine you talked about that like the fans criticized Rio Ferdinand but it wasn't the fans that criticized her in this instance in, entirely it was Leeds United themselves the official Twitter account that started that conversation and so they must have no, you know that they must have been they must have had some inkling in their head that that was inevitably going to lead to a lot of unfair abuse as well from their fans who were not going to take not going to listen to the whole point that they were making and just follow what their own account was saying as well so Dan to bring you in on this I suppose the sort of point is with it comes to official accounts, do, don't they do they have more of a responsibility to actually, you know, try and stay out of this discourse as much as possible, you know, in a sensible way, like a little bit of banter is fine here and there. But when it comes to, you know, when it comes to digging out specific people and individual individual pundits, is that not something that we should just lead to the likes of Leeds fan TV and, you know, f- people like that on Twitter? Like, is there where do you draw the line, basically? Yeah, possibly. In general, I actually agree with Andrew on this point. I think you've got to be allowed to call out what is either incorrect or lazy punditry, which I think this was, um, to be honest with you. I spend a lot of time despairing with or calling out the likes of Michael Owen. Gabby Bonhoeffer is one of the worst, in my opinion. He's <laughs> dreadful. Yeah, Stephen Manman to that list as well, if we could. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just the, the sort of people I think they get told something by somebody, and instead of looking at it themselves, they just take that opinion. Yeah. And you could tell them before a game that this is the way they play. But is because... that sort of not what Leeds fans are doing with their account as well? They're looking at what their their Twitter account is saying and sort of rolling with it. They're not really listening to the criticism themselves. Possibly, yeah, possibly. I think in terms of the point on whether the club account should be doing it, I think it's probably best left. But this is the first instance we've seen of anything like this. So you learn from your mistakes, I suppose, don't you? Now, I think if it happened again tomorrow, I don't think Leeds would would go down that avenue because of the backlash they faced. But in terms of what they initially did, they probably did it in a way, this is going to sound strange, out of naivety, thinking, 
we're just calling out a pundit, regardless of a sex, uh, for what they've said. And it's it's wrong. It's a stupid thing to say. And it, and it was. I don't think anyone in the right mind will sit there and say, we'll call her out and we know she's going to get all sorts of abuse for because she's a woman. That's that's wrong. And we it's abhorrent the abuse she got. There's no doubt about it. And it's wrong. But the actual point Leeds were making on the point she made, I quite agree with, to be honest with you. And I think... Had it have been, I think Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank was with her, and I think he agreed at the time. And had it have been him saying it, and Leeds would have done the same thing. There wouldn't have been the outcry there has been, which I'm not sure I agree with either, uh, to be honest. But yeah, like it's the first time we've seen something like this. Female pundits have had abuse in the past, but probably not to the same sort of level because it was a club's official account. But they probably should leave it be in future, like I say. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I I definitely agree with that sentiment. Like. The, the, the core point Andrew is making is you're right we should be able to criticize pundits regardless of gender and there are definitely people who who missing like it sort of weaponized that tweet in the sense of it was intended as sexist abuse from Leeds United they're targeting her because she's a woman it's ab- complete nonsense in my opinion yeah like, exactly yeah no it, yeah and you're, you're right we, we can't have this sort of extra protective shield over like just how we can't you know we can't how we can't put them on a lower pedestal we can't put them on a higher pedestal either so there is there is a balance to be found there but I also think like the, the thing the thing the thing that annoys me is that that's probably the first bit of criticism I've heard from Leeds by of Leeds by any major pundit this season. Every single other one that I've heard has been absolutely lavishing Leeds all season. The football that they play. I remember when they were in the Man United game. They were four 0 down by half time, and all the pundit. Well, this was before they scored the first goal at the end of the half. And all the pundit. They were all the pundits were talking about. Oh, they press so well. They look they could score at any minute. And they play such great football. I'm sorry, you're four 0 down against your biggest rivals in the league before half time like have you not got anything negative to say about them at all at all like it, it does wane a bit so that tweet to me from the official account it did come across as kind of thin-skinned i'm not gonna lie and i'm not listen i i'm not a lot of people get slated for like you know anti-bielsa agendas i genuinely like bielsa as a manager i think he, he is doing he has surprised me this season i think he's doing better with leads than i thought they would he would but like I think I find it rich that Leeds are trying to paint themselves as some sort of victims this season because they certainly aren't for the media in my opinion I think me personally watching Leeds I enjoy watching Leeds and I think that once Bielsa at the moment I feel they've got championship defenders I think Cooper and Ailing and so forth I think once they can improve those defenders and get maybe Premier League to top half Premier League quality centre-backs and full-backs I think they will improve even more. Leeds aren't going to go down. So if you're not going to go down, you're not going to get into Europe, at least play with some free spirit and enjoyment. And I think most fans in that area between 8th and 18th, 8th and 17th would love Bielsa as manager because all their games are entertaining. Like, yeah, against Spurs, they probably defended awfully and they were atrocious defensively. In that game, they probably did deserve criticism. But the other games I've watched, I've really enjoyed their free-flowing and free-flow football. And it's refreshing to see rather than what Bruce does and what Hodgson does and what all the other managers do, where it's 4-5-1, hit on the counter-attack, hope. 442 yeah. actually I think you'll find. Don't don't knock don't knock the old favorites. <laughs> oh, I think <laughs> I mean to be honest I, when you played against us you were playing 451 pretty much anyway. Oh, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. Well, yeah, that is true. I'll give you that one. Roy Hodgson is 
like I'm not good. Roy Hodgson does not play attractive football at all. I think. Well, this this this, this does well now that we we've perfectly segwayed this conversation, so we will start it here. I thought this would be a good opportunity with the whole discourse that's going on about Leeds um, from the the Cameron Carney situation. We've talked a lot. Me, me and Andrew in particular have clashed a lot about this show in terms of style of play and how relevant it actually is. I wanted to ask the question, like. How important it is, is it that a football side be entertaining? I mean, Andrew mentioned, you know, he, 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 I think you do make a good point that if you are mid-table and you're not going to go for a trophy or go for Europe, although I'd argue teams in that sort of 10th, 8th bracket sort of are in that bracket of being able to push for that position. So I think prioritising results is a bit higher up for them. But regardless, I think that, you know, I, I think it is a good point. I think that any fan, you know, listen, I, any there's no fan in the country that would prefer that would not choose good football over more straightforward football. Like no one, no, I'm going to avoid the term bad football because I'm I'm biased. But you know, even me, like as you know, as biased I supposedly am, like would I take a manager like Marcelo Bielsa over Roy Hodgson? Absolutely, I'd love to see him as Palace manager. I'm not debating that at all. But personally, I don't give a toss how people think Palace play football. I really don't care how people view us as a team, as a neutral. I care about us. I, I enjoy, I get enjoyment out of us winning games. Like the West Ham game that I brought up last episode on Boxing Day. Pretty drab game of football, if I'm going to be honest. We didn't play that well. Yeah, I went home happy as Lowry because we got a last minute goal and we won the game and we got up to about eighth. So I think there's, and the thing is as well, there's mid-table and then there's mid-table. Like if you're a team around that sort of relegation zone for most of the season then you win your last four games and you finish 13th there's a difference between that and a team who's sort of in eighth or ninth for most of the season and then loses their last few and ends up about 12th or 13th like we did last season so i think in that sense like you know that there is yeah, george, there is a balance george, in the sense. george what a palace can it achieve i'm really sorry like Watching Hodgson football is so dull. Like, I'm so bored. Of I don't care. Season. I don't. I don't care what you think. Like I'm more interested in how, how whether or not we're actually gonna, you know, well, whether or not we're gonna stay away from eleventh. If you're not enjoying watching us, that a nice. I do enjoy watching us play when we win. I don't enjoy it when we bomb forward against Liverpool and give away so many chances and get battered. Like I'd rather have played defensive football in that game because we think we've got a bit of chance of getting something. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll bring in. I, I want to. I mean, we won't let this just be between us two. I'll bring in Dan and Johnny on this because you are both teams that have a history of both winning things and playing good football. Particularly in Arsenal's case, Liverpool has varied a little bit more, but definitely more good than bad. It's safe to say. From an outsider's perspective, looking down on mid-table, what like, <laughs> and again, balance in terms yeah. of a consumer and a fan as well. Like, where's what? What are your views on the whole thing? As an Arsenal fan, I mean, I love playing decent football, but then at the same time. You don't get any extra points for winning for playing nice football. I mean, I, I'd be quite happy as an Arsenal fan to go back to one 0 to the Arsenal and win league titles. To be honest, you know, it's all really good playing good football, but um, it doesn't get you results all the time. As much as I mean, under Wenger, we, we played some amazing football. I mean, one things of course, but um, you know, it, and it was great. But at the same time, sometimes I do wish that we could go back to the old George Graham days, one 0 to the Arsenal, shut up shop, and win the game, get three points. You know, that's the most important George, thing. George isn't saying that. George is saying he's happy to be mid-table and playing crap football for, for forever because, you know, he's going to win nine games at 38 and I'll be so exciting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on a minute. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying. Okay, that, that's a totally different I'm debate in itself. That that be mid table and you're playing crap football. What's the point? If there's no point, if you're obviously, I'm not saying if you win the league playing crap football, like I don't know, like the Mourinho teams, like Mourinho at Inter and everything like that. Obviously, yeah, play crap football. You've won titles, but if you're going to come ninth to 15th or 16th in the Premier League, what is the point when it, watching crap football as well? 
because to, because would you potentially finish higher playing that sort of football than if you did if you played if you tried to play more attacking? So for instance, like if you if you take the likes of if you take Marcelo Bielsa and you take say Graham Potter, now both of them both of them are praised for playing good football. Now Marcelo Bielsa is a manager I would have over Roy Hodgson, no question, because I think he's doing good things with that Leeds team, like you said, and he does play better football. Now I would not take Graham Potter over Roy Hodgson for one simple reason: one of them gets results and one doesn't. That's the thing. I have no problem like as long as a manager gets results. I don't care what style of play that they play. And like, like I said, like I said at the beginning, I, I understand, like, I'm not a fool, right? I'm going to take playing better attractive football over Roy Hodgson style of football. I'm not saying I wouldn't, but not at the cost of results. And I think that particularly in Graham Potter's case, this is someone who's hyped up as a good manager because he dominates the possession stats and the XG and all that. And yet mm. Brighton is still in a relegation battle for the fourth season in a row. Like, what I'm saying is, is that it's not worth sacrificing. It's not worth sacrificing results for better football because there is a chance. There's always a chance with Palace with the structure that we have that we go that we can be dragged into that and go down. I mean, look at Frank de Boer. We brought him in to play this total football, you know, Ajax style, part, you know, pass from the back, three at the back, three four three, all the sort of thing. Couldn't even score a goal. We bring in Roy Hodgson, anti-football extraordinaire. Ironically, in that first period, that first season he's in charge, we played the best football I've ever seen at Palace. So there, there clearly is a middle ground yeah. there. And I want to get, I want to get Dan in on this because he hasn't had a word to say. I want to see what you have to say about this, Dan. <laughs> Yeah, I think your last point was probably the most poignant one in terms of being a middle ground. As much as I love watching Leeds, which were the catalyst for this conversation, they have no defence. And and that is that is naive and a little bit, not arrogant, because that's not fair, it's just the way he plays. But it, there has to be a balance, there has to be a fine line between just attacking constantly and having to... I don't think they've kept a clean sheet. I'd be surprised if they had. It's just mayhem when they play, which is great to watch, especially as a neutral. But in terms of me, I am uh, an advocate of attacking football, um, personally. For instance, as from a Liverpool perspective, I wouldn't want my old mate Jose Mourinho to manage us. Because <laughs> if you look what's happening with Spurs now, they haven't won a trophy for a long time. So a lot of them are like, oh, I don't really care what it looks like. Let's just get wins. Let's win a trophy. And that doesn't wash with me, really. Especially if, in normal times, you're going to be going to watch this every week. Now, if you're going to go and watch... I, I go to be entertained. Winning's great, obviously, but there's definitely an entertainment factor from where I'm sitting. Um, there's nothing I love more than watching like brilliant football, especially if it's Liverpool playing it, obviously. You know what I mean? I don't want to go see my team, West Brom, for instance, against us the other day. Now, I get they've got to do it because West Brom against Liverpool, but if they go and do that against, I don't know, mid, if they do that against Palace... 10 men behind the ball, maybe get a goal on the counter. I'd be thinking, why? Why are we doing this? What's the point? You may as well stay in the championship and win games at that rate because there's no... That's not what football's about for my in my book. Like, staying in the Premier League is a huge moneymaker for football clubs, so I get why they do it and they, they're almost forced to do it to try and stay in the league by whatever means possible. But if you gave me the option between... Attacking football and negative football, it's, it's a no-brainer. Now, I get there's a risk involved in that, but I give me that risk all day long. I'd rather play beautiful football all season, finish top four, than play terrible football and potentially finish second or even win it. I mean, to, to be fair, I think there is, with, with Liverpool's case in particular, because you've already won the Premier League and won so many trophies, like, there's not, you know, I think you have that almost that sort of luxury to be it's a, a bit more picky. It's a difficult yeah. standpoint to be on. I'm yeah. With all due respect to everybody involved, because as a Liverpool fan, 
it's certainly historically we're blessed with trophies. So it doesn't. Yeah, really, <laughs> exactly. It doesn't really matter. But trying to speak as objectively as possible, I would. I try and think of a good Newcastle and Leeds are a very good comparison at the minute because the two very big football clubs playing two very different styles of football. Now they could both stay in the league. Say they finish twelfth and thirteenth for this season, Newcastle and Leeds, with the same managers yeah. throughout the year. Leeds yeah. will have had a more enjoyable season, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I'd rather be in Leeds' boat, and I suppose that's where Andrew comes in again. Like, would he rather watch Bielsa's football at Newcastle than Bruce's? Probably. Would you rather come tenth, playing horrible football, ninth or tenth, playing the most atrocious football, counter-attacking? Or finish say thirteenth, fourteenth, but having every game having fifteen to twenty shots on shots, and, and that's like, probably going to be the the question between yeah. Lucas and Leeds, like I say, at the end of the season. So, but I, I would probably take fourteenth with, with Leeds, to be honest. Well, considering we've only had one top half finish in our history, I'm inclined to disagree there. Uh, but I mean, the thing is, the, the thing in terms Hodgson, of being Hodgson has made you think that's the only way to play. <laughs> well, for, first, first of all, Hodgson actually doesn't play like. He doesn't always play like particular against against Leeds. Ironically, like who would play this amazing attacking side? We thrashed them four one and played really good stuff. West Brom as well. Man United, I thought we played some good. So we have definitely played better football than last season because we've got mm. better players in the team. But me personally, I've never come home from a game that we've won that I've not been entertained. I don't care how bad the football is. If we win, then I'm entertained. Like, it doesn't matter. Now, admittedly, if we lose a game and we play shit football, it is much worse than if we play bad football. Yeah. Uh, unless, you're playing, unless you're playing Swansea and you can see two goals in injury time, then that's a totally different ball game. But <laughs> other than that, like, I, I like... I think there's lots of really poor 1-0 games. I don't think that's true. You, you can watch a game and it's you can win 1-0 on the counter-attack, last-minute goal. Yeah, you're happy for that moment, but... You haven't really enjoyed the game. Like, for instance, when we played you and we beat you 2-0, it was an atrocious game. I wasn't entertained. We, I was entertained for one isn't, isn't there some? Isn't there something quite satisfying, though, about being the quote-unquote worst team and then still nicking a game and getting to rub it in the other team's face? Like, Because all the, all the salt you see online about teams like Burnley as well, not belonging in the league and stuff like that. And they absolutely love it. That's part of their identity. They, they have the anti-football chance and all that. But I'd rather watch, you know, my team try and create something, enjoy 90 minutes of the game, than watch. Oh, wait, we've got we've nicked it for five minutes because also it's not sustainable to to win to only play well for five minutes and nick it. It's very true though. But you don't you don't get it. I mean, you, you can play well. But I, the main main thing is winning is winning football matches. Do you know what? I I take winning one nil 38 games a season and winning the league than playing good football. And well, let's compare let's compare us to Brighton right now. I mean, because supposedly Brighton play much better football than us and have a much I, more progressive manager. They're in a relegation scrap. We're not that much higher above them, but we are much clearer danger and we play a lot worse football. I'd much rather be in our position right now. I don't care what anyone says. I don't think Brighton are nice to watch. I've watched them quite a few times. Yeah. I don't think they're that exciting to watch. I think there's well, a lot. Of back- I'm glad we agree on something at least. <laughs> I, think, I think they keep the ball. They keep the ball very well, don't they? But their actual end product in the final third is pretty is pretty dull, really. But don't you yeah, think no, I agree with that. I like that. Lots of teams now they look really good in the first two thirds, but when it comes to the final third, they don't actually. There's no nice passing or whatever. It's yeah. Like it annoys me when it's right back to centre back, centre back to left back, back to centre back. But you know they just keep moving the ball side to side. There's no actual penetration with the passing. No. I suppose yeah. it all comes down to end results, doesn't it? For instance, yeah. with this whole conversation looks a lot different. Spurs, for instance, to bring up Johnny's favourite club, oh, yeah. they they go win the league this year. It's not going to happen, I don't think, to be honest. But say they did, and they play in the style of football they do, they don't care. 
they finish fifth playing that style of football, questions are going to be asked at the end of the season. And it's the same down the bottom. Brighton go down playing this, getting the ball on the floor, passive football. Brighton fans aren't going to be happy. If they finish 15th and they've played half-decent football all year, they'll be made up, won't they? And I think it does... It does differ if you're going, if you're spending God knows how much a week to go and watch it. This year, people probably got a bit of a free pass. For instance, again, going back to Spurs, if people were paying God knows how much to go and watch them with London prices, then there might be a bit more of um, a bit more unrest when they're playing this terrible sit back behind the ball, trying to hit people on the counter football. Whereas without fans in the stadium, Mourinho could do what he wants. Absolutely, yeah, good point there. Yeah, I guess that I guess that's sort of what gets me more than actual, you know, the, the advocates for good football itself. Because like I see, I see people, you know, when you know Roy Hodgson leaves the end of the season, I see people, you know, talking about the next Palace manager, and I see people suggesting names like Slavin Bilic. And it's like, well, Slavin Bilic, he's, you know, he judge that terrible West Brom team that's gotten thrashed ever since he left. If they are go down the season, it's almost certainly his responsibility. And I'm like, well, why the hell would you want him to pass? Like, oh, he plays good football. I was like, well, so what? If he's going to take us down, if he's going to drag us into a relegation battle, what is the point? I would rather be where we are now. And people say, like, I see Palace fans as well saying, like, well, I'd rather be in a relegation battle because it's just more exciting. I mean, that's an entirely separate debate. But, like, are these people mad? I understand being bored with Roy Hodgson's football. I'm not trying to say it's the best in the world. And let me let me, let me be clear. Like I said, I would I would rather finish where we are playing Bielsa's football than Roy Hodgson's football because I'm not stupid, all right? But yeah, what I'm course. talking yeah. about is I would take Marcelo Bielsa because he can get results, not because he plays good football. Yeah, I get that. I think I mean the the, the separate debate thing you mentioned there is a really interesting one. So I've often wondered with perennial mid-table clubs if they're satisfied, like. Sometimes I think, would you rather not be in the championship and have a go at like the playoffs and promotion? Is that not better? You know what I mean? But it's one of them. And I suppose if teams see the Premier League as the holy grail and that's all that matters, then so be it. Yeah, I mean, it is it is a debate that's going to go on to the end of time, I think. I mean, you see teams all around the world. I mean, I mean, you even tie rivalries. Look at Super Classico in Argentina, Boca Juniors, River Plate. I mean, that's part of that is based on their conflicting styles. You have River Plate who believe in playing, in playing good football and sticking, staying true to the beautiful game and all that sort of thing. And you have Boca who, you know, win at all costs, sweat the shirt. Doesn't matter how scrappy one nil goal games is fine. Like so, it's 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 always it's always a fascinating conversation. And we there's people with always going to be heated about their their own ideologies and how they think a club should be run. And it does make in like like Dan says with the expectations of mid-table clubs and what they should actually be striving for I think personally as a mid-table club I'd be much happier if we finished eighth or ninth playing Roy Hodgson style of football than if we stayed where we are playing Bielsa's football that's just me personally I mean I I think I think thankfully the, t- the number of people who would rather go down playing good football <laughs> is is quite few and far between so there's at least more to agree there but yeah well we will move on we'll move on to the let's all laugh at and we mentioned Brighton before um and Graham Potter I'm actually nominating him for um for the let's all laugh at uh because not only i mean the most publicized thing has been their home record in 2020 won one game at home all season palace won as many games at the amec that year as brighton did and rb leipzig won as many games on in 
many home games against English teams that season or something like that than Brighton did. So, I mean, again, that's, that's, the, that's the classic thing. Brighton sat Chris Hewton. I don't think they're necessarily wrong to do that because I think they were on a downward spiral. But they did all this talk about playing, you know, Graham Potter playing such progressive, you know, beautiful football and storming the Europa League and all that with all these young players. And it hasn't worked at all. So, you know, I, as, as far as I'm concerned, it's a, <laughs> I'm going to take what little victories I can get at this point. But it'll probably come back to bite me in about a month's time when we go there and lose 3-0. But for the time being, I'm going to revel in it. <laughs> Don't blame you. I wouldn't know. Yeah. Well, we've talked about Brighton already a little bit, so we won't go into that any further. But um, so, yeah, we'll go on to you next, Andrew. Who have you got? Um, I kind of liked, I don't know if you guys have seen, I saw this like um, Scott Parker was voted best dress manager. I found that quite funny. And then there's this thing where he does this interview after, um, I think they played Leicester where they won Leicester away and they've done like the streets rendition as he's talking. Oh, yeah. So um, yeah, it's so funny actually. It really. And I also, I always love this time of the year where people's like Andy Carroll has scored more goals than Lionel Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo combined. <laughs> I mean, those types of stats always crack me up. So, but I'd probably go for Scott Parker's streets rendition. Yeah, Scott Parker thing's brilliant. I've seen that. Yeah, I mean, in terms of Fulham themselves, they've had their past couple of games cooled off, most notably the Burnley one, which is very much a six-pointer at this point of the season, I'd say. Um, some people argue it's a bit early for six-pointers, but I don't think so. I think those teams are going to be in it from now to the end of the season. Um, but they have put some form together, and I think they're going to be miss. I think they're going to be ruining the opportunity to not play these games because I think it was a real, particularly with Brighton's form, it was a real opportunity for them to pull away, in my opinion. Yeah, if you ask Scott Parker, I'm sure you'd rather have the points on the board than have the games called off. Yeah. I think they might, because they'll have, they've they had more recovery time in Europe, they, and they're out the League Cup as well, they probably, they, it might be good for them to play these games later on, especially against Spurs, because Spurs probably will be in the Europa League and have lots of games when these games are rearranged. So it might turn out it's a good time to, it might not affect them as much, because the other team might have more cramped fixtures at the time it's rearranged for. Yeah. Uh, well, we'll go on to you next, Dan. What have you got? Um, it's quite topical, actually. We spend quite a lot of time talking about clubs' official Twitters. And um, Spartak Moscow is my nomination. <laughs> I don't know if anyone has seen Spartak Moscow's Twitter, but it is an absolute joy to behold. Basically, they are on the right side of the banter sort of thing. So anytime pretty much anything happens in world football, they're on it. And this week, they messaged Lionel Messi, um, just saying hi, Leo. <laughs> I've got it up now, I've just seen it, yeah. Yeah, just saying hi, Leo, to which Lionel Messi responded, no. <laughs> <laughs> now, I think, well, the, the general consensus is they were kind of, because he obviously potentially leaving, um, and he can speak to clubs now, from like yeah. the 1st of January. So it's part of that Moscow and messaging just to strike up a conversation. <laughs> Yeah, but um, and and just now after the Chelsea game, um, there's a clip going around of Frank Lampard urging supporters to support someone else. I don't know if you've seen it. And then Spartak Moscow yeah. replied to that and said, "We welcome all all Chelsea fans." <laughs> yeah, man, Spartak Moscow because they're quite good fun actually for a Russian football club. They're quite good fun. Can I throw in Frank Lampard into my lats for Laffa as well? Because uh, they've lost four of the last five now and. Uh, his signings are turning out to be huge flops. So yeah. I think, uh, I actually, I don't think he's going to last. I think Abramovich no. might attack him in the next couple of games. Well, the Athletic have reported they are considering the manager's position. That was just after the game, so he could well be gone quicker than we I think. think. 
Yeah, I think he's going to rue going into that job so early. Because I think he probably, if he had three, four years experience, he might have done better. But going in with just one year in the championship, it's just yeah. not enough, really. Yeah. Who, who would have thought that taking Derby all the way from sixth to sixth and appointing him based on sentiment was a really bad idea. I mean, yeah. I'm sure Johnny can share my sentiment on this one, but all them Chelsea fans slating Arteta for being appointed with no experience, whilst, you know, licking Frank Lampard's shoes all this time. You know, I think all I can say, all I can say is karma. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, Chelsea, I, I, I've been watching the game, listening to it on the radio, and by all accounts, Man City were, in the first half, it, was, it could have been six or seven. But yeah, I kind of wish it was, to be honest, take the heat off us a little bit, but there you go. I'm <laughs> the one that keeps bringing up every chance I get, so I guess it's my fault. <laughs> Yeah, no, um, you know, Chelsea, I mean, they're, they're, they're signs like I'm not performing. Timo Werner, he's, he's, he can't seem to score a goal at the moment. It's kind of strange, really, because uh, Aubameyang went 10 games without a goal, near enough, and a lot a lot was made out of it. No, he's not good enough, he's not this, he's lost it. Timo Werner got many goals recently, and it seems he doesn't get as much stick. So it's always nice to rub it in a little bit. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, what, 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 I guess that leaves you then. What have you got for your lads to laugh at? I've actually, I, I wasn't going for Chelsea, but um, I'm actually going to go for your mate Dan Byrne at Brighton. So yeah, an absolute shocker against Wolves. Oh yeah, yeah I saw that. Yeah, I mean, everything that could have gone wrong for him went wrong. I mean, it was he must have, he must have just got sent off as well while he was at it. He just it was <laughs> he gave away that, that corner for the for the equaliser, the first goal. Then he gave away a penalty. And then scored an own goal. Oh, he, was like, he, had a ter- he had a terrible game. Um, yeah, it was bad. It yeah, if you're a neutral or a Wolves fan, he had a great game. But um, guy, he, he was just everything that went wrong could have gone wrong went wrong for him. Yeah, you know that saying, there's a tweet for everything? I saw a Brighton account, like, all the way back in June, saying that, you know, touting Dan Byrne for England. I mean, for fuck's sake, Lewis Dunk was bad enough. And I'm just glad they've been made out to look like the... the, the I'm sorry, that is just moronic. Like, I'm glad they've been showed up for what they are with that after after tonight. Because I even... Presume, I presume they meant England basketball. Cause you've had <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, even Ryan that we had on the podcast, like, he got a lot of stick from his fellow Brighton fans because he doesn't, he doesn't rate him that much. And apparently, apparently he is in the know. Apparently we've got the right person on. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. I'm not much fan of Dan, but I think, I, the only player from Brighton that I don't mind is... Um, is that, that, that Tariq Lamptey, decent player, but he's, he's, he's injured or something. Doesn't matter. He's injured, yeah. I think he's out for the next yeah. month or so. Yeah. Yeah, but um, apart from that, they're, they're, they're a poor side. Bissouma's all right in midfield. <laughs> Bissouma's been linked with Real Madrid. Oh, my God. Yeah, I mean, my God. Like, I think Bissouma is a good player, actually. Like, you know, I do try to be fair with Brighton, and I think I actually would. I'd take him in Paris as midfield. I think he'd do a decent job. But Real Madrid, come on. Like, I mean, Man United was bad enough, but. Yeah, how the mighty have fallen, are they? Yeah, ex- exactly. Wow. I mean, Real Madrid. They oh, could... That's a big, big phrase there, George. I'd take him in our midfield. Wow. <laughs> God, Roy, Hodgson's, Roy Hodgson's anti-football. Uh, oh, man. What a big step up for him that would be. <laughs> to be fair, to be fair, it could be a whole league at the start of next season. But yeah, in terms of I think there's one clear winner for me, and that's got to be that's got to be Spartak Moscow. I mean, I really love. There's a lot of foreign Twitter accounts. I think it's I think it's Bayer Leverkusen is the other one that are really good. Uh, yes, yeah, I think Roma yeah. as well. I think there's a lot of foreign English Twitter accounts, like because obviously they've got the ones in the native languages. Yeah. Um, they've got the English versions as well, and there's some really good. I mean, clubs with a lot of foreign clubs with a lot of great banter out there. Um, and I think that one, like, so quick in succession as well. So much of it, like, it's I think it's great. Yeah. Hi Leo on the first of January. <laughs> <laughs> yeah absolutely 
All right, well, that's just about all we've got time for. So thanks for listening to this episode. Uh, be sure to drop us a like and a follow, whatever platform you're on. You can find us on YouTube and Spotify at Let's All Laugh at a Football Podcast, as well as Twitter at LALA underscore podcast. Uh, be sure to check out Dan's work on Last Word on Football and Read Liverpool. Uh, be sure to check out Life's a Pitch. Be sure to check out Andrew's channel, where you can hear him talk about the, the Karen Carney situation in a bit more depth in his latest video. Uh, be sure to check out all our social media. Links to all of them are in the description, as always. Thanks to Dan, Johnny and Andrew for joining me. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you guys next time. Take care.